0: So I know you've seen uh, this uh, tagline on, on, a, on a car, you've seen this bumper sticker before, um, Jesus is my co-pilot, I've seen, that's, that's an older one, uh, Jesus is my co-pilot and it got replaced by recently uh, and I saw this actually on my trip, this still, it's still dating me, but it nevertheless it was replaced with kind of the, the uh, new bumper sticker. If Jesus is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. And I totally get the idea behind that. I totally get what the person who is obviously more spiritual than the first person, the first bumper sticker, I totally get what they're trying to do. They're trying to say that the Christian life isn't uh, about using Jesus for some mechanical purpose. Jesus is not an adjunct. He's not an extra. You know, I could make it from point a, a to point B without a copilot, not without Google Maps, but without a copilot, I could make it from point A to point B, but it's nice to have a copilot, And I get that the counter bumper sticker is sort of opposing that idea. On the other hand, as I was thinking about it, and I have a hypercritical mind, as many of you know, but as I was thinking about it, I was, I was th- thinking the problem with that is Jesus called me to drive. Like, the Christian life requires work. Like, I'm, I'm doing stuff. Jesus calls me to take a journey. He, in Hebrews, he calls Israel to go from the, uh, Egypt all the way to the Promised Land. And they have to work on that journey. They have to do certain things. They have to endure certain trials. They have to go to war with certain people, they have work to do. And while Jesus guides them on the way, while God is there guiding them, it is nevertheless not the case that it's not them working. And we feel that at the Christian life. We can kind of plaster it over with nice sayings. Jesus is in the front seat. I've switched, I'm resting, resting, resting in Jesus, and there is a truth to that, that's why I had us sing that hymn, we are to rest in Christ. But the Christian life is a journey that requires work and we get tired. It is a journey that requires work and we get weary. Our faith grows weary as we exercise those muscles, and you've heard this if you've been with us in the evening, as you exercise those muscles, they break down, they get weary. And that is why the author says, you have need of endurance. We need endurance. And we're going to consider this morning the chief provision by which we can find that endurance. You've hit a brick wall. Where are you going to find the energy to continue? Hebrews 12 gives us great Christ-centered instruction about how to regain a vigorous faith. We're gonna look at this passage along two lines then. First, we're gonna examine the need for endurance, the need that we feel and and why we feel this need, that faith is not a one and done thing, but it requires an enduring work on our part. So we're gonna look at the need for endurance. And then secondly, we're gonna look at the provision for endurance, First then, the need for endurance. This may seem uh, overly simple, but I think we all intuitively grasp, like if we're honest with ourselves and we're honest with where we are with Jesus Christ and we're honest about our relationships in the world and, and where we stand in those relationships, I think we can all intuitively grasp that the Christian life is difficult. Now, some of you out there, have what we might call the gift of faith. All of us who claim the name of Christ have the faith. But Paul also talks about the gift of faith. Some of you do not struggle with doubt. Some of you do not struggle with endurance. You hit a problem and you just keep moving. You are like a train and nothing's gonna, gonna stop your faith. Many of us, though, wrestle in times of trial. We feel that pain, we feel the difficulties that we face, and we wonder in those moments, things like, how am I going to keep on? Like, when is this gonna be over because I can't endure it very much longer? And that kind of problem can show up in a number of different ways. In fact, Hebrews uh, uses some different words to describe it. Sometimes that the problems that we face, the thing that we must endure is temptation to sin, it says, throw off every sin which clings so closely. Sometimes we need endurance because sin is sticky. Sin sticks to us. It doesn't just go away. Sometimes when you come to faith, certain sins might just disappear. You just don't struggle with that anymore. But all of us have sins that stick to us that cling so closely, and even in those best moments we see them lurking behind trying to drag us down, or maybe you've successfully combated these sins for many years. John Owen talks about this in his book on the mortification of sin, that you could feel some level of success, some level of victory over the temptations that are endemic to your life, and suddenly, without warning, there it is. You didn't realize that it was still a problem. You didn't realize that it was still with you. You didn't realize that the battle had not been won, but there is more to engage in. Sin clings, it, it sticks to us, and it does so because we delight in it. It is who we are as sinners, and so sometimes we are called to endure Because sin is pulling us down, it is clinging to us, it is drawing us, and this is what sin inevitably does, all sin does this, major or minor, sin draws us away from God. It doesn't just slow us down on the path, its goal is to make you run the other way. If the Christian life is a race, then its goal is to get you off the track and thus to disqualify you. It may be sin, but it also may be circumstances. You know, there are things that happen to us that are beyond our control, that we don't have any effect on. There are those items that you just can't change in your life, and no amount of endeavor is going to fix the problem. You have unfixable problems. I've used this analogy before, but I I really like the uh, kids, the folk song, there's a hole in the bucket, right? The dad or the husband uh, says there's a hole in the bucket. He wants to get it fixed, but each avenue for fixing the hole in the bucket is another problem. Well, I can't fix the hole because I don't have any straw, and I don't have straw because the straw is too long, and I don't, uh, the straw is too long because my knife is dull, which means I need water to wet the stone, which means I need a bucket, and there's a hole in the bucket. Some of your problems are hole-in-the-bucket problems. That is to say, they are, from our perspective, unsolvable. In this case, the farmer's just lazy. But we do face problems that, at least from our perspective, seem unsolvable. We, we don't know how to resolve the issue. We don't know where to get started. And the, these weights drag us down. And Hebrews calls us to throw those off, lest we be encumbered. How do you do that? What does that look like? We have need of endurance. We have need of endurance because of the general things that we face in this world, the difficulties that God puts in our path, the difficulties, some of which are of our own making, some of which are from circumstances beyond our control. We need endurance, and though this passage is one of those encouraging, delightful passages, and though you can put it on your your refrigerator uh, and and just think about it and meditate on it, and it gives you warm, fuzzy thoughts, this passage is one of those kind of popular passages. Notice that this need for endurance that the author talks about is actually pretty dark. That is to say, you already feel the need for endurance. It is likely the case in this room that most of you feel a need for endurance, you feel the danger of weariness in your faith. And our author, recognizing that, goes on to tell us, and it will probably get worse. Verse 4, you have need of endurance, and by the way, you have not yet suffered, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Verse 4. What the author is indicating there, he's actually referencing something that he mentioned earlier in chapter 10, is that the Hebrews have suffered persecution. This is not referring to some sort of self flagellation or some self uh, uh, caused pain, but the pain or the difficulty of persecution. They have faced persecution. Their property has been stolen, they have been imprisoned, but they have not yet paid with their life. Their lives are still their own. Many Christians at this point in the early church have paid with their life, but no one from this particular audience. What the author is reminding us of when he slides verse 4 in there, this dark verse in an otherwise cheerful passage, what he's reminding us to consider is that it could be worse. You ever have one of those friends that's not very comforting? Like you go to them and you tell them, oh, here's my here's my problems and here's my difficulty. I'm trying to be transparent. You know, I'm having a quarter-life crisis right now and, and things are difficult and I don't know where my life is going. I just came out of college and, you know, and I'm 30-something and, and things are just, they're just difficult right now and I feel aimless and listless and I think I'm having a quarter-life crisis, and they're the type of person that says, quarter-life crisis? Are you going to be 120? You know, they're not very encouraging. They just want to remind you it's going to get worse. Like the, there's a midlife crisis coming. Right? It can feel a little bit like Hebrews is doing exactly this. Yes, it's really bad and you've struggled for a long time and you are tired, you are tired of the struggle, but think about how much worse it could be. Hebrews is not doing that to be malicious. It's doing that to remind us again and again and again that in the Christian life, endurance is required. You have need of it and you have need of it because you know that the Christian life as it is patterned after Christ, you know the heights to which God may call you. He may call you even to martyrdom. That is hard for us to get our minds around in our American culture. But we need to remember that God has called and will maybe call the people of God to this kind of sacrifice. We need to remember the martyrs across the world who are suffering for Christ even now while we live at relative peace. And in considering that, what it does is it puts our momentary trials into perspective, but it also prepares us for what is to come, knowing that it could be worse, knowing that the heights to which God might call us to suffer, notice, knowing that the uh, difficulties that we might face, that our life is patterned after Christ and therefore our glory is subsequent to our suffering. Knowing that, that we suffer as he suffered, helps us to prepare for the trials that we face. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I can't imagine a weary faith, a weary faith. I can't imagine what, I'm in a pretty good spot right now. Things are going pretty well for me, I'm I'm happy, I can't imagine what that's like. One of the things that Hebrews wants us to remind ourselves is is that we live in a wilderness. And though you may have a clear path right now, though you may currently be in cool waters, and that's something to be grateful for and thankful for, we are also always engaged in preparation for the trials that are to come. And we we do so by invigorating our faith. We have need of endurance. And our need is greater than perhaps we possibly know. We have not yet suffered to the point of shedding our own blood. So we have need of endurance. Where are we going to go to get the endurance that we need? Where do we find this kind of energy, this kind of faith? We've been answering that question from a number of different angles in Hebrews, from chapter 10 through chapter We've talked about the example of faith that was left before us in Hebrews 11, and we looked at the anatomy of faith in that passage. We looked at the character of enduring faith in Hebrews 10. But it is here, it is at this point, where the author drives all of his discussion to the singular emphatic climax that is, for us, power for the age to come. He drives us, he uses these other things, he answers these other questions, but it's all given to us to bring out this singular point, this apex of his exhortation. Consider Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Where do we get endurance? We get it from the people of God, we get it from worship, we get it from the means of grace. We get it through prayer. We get it by considering the heroes of faith in ages past. But all of these things, all of them together, are merely pointers and foreshadowings of the true source and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ. It is his person and work that provides for us the energy of faith, the energy by which we run this race. And so as we consider our need for endurance, we need to consider the provision then that we have in Jesus Christ. This passage mentions three ways that Jesus provides energy for your faith, endurance in the race that you're running. So we're going to look at three things here, three sub-points. You thought it was a two-point sermon, but it's a seven-point sermon. Three three sub-points. We're considering the need for endurance and now the provision of endurance. And there are three things that the Lord provides for us. He is the author of our faith. He is the example of our faith. And finally, he's the perfecter of our faith. First then, Jesus, how does he give us endurance for the race that we are to run? Jesus gives us endurance by giving us faith. Faith is something that we are supposed to work on, something that we are supposed to engage in and strengthen but it comes to us as a gift. The faith that we have is the faith that is authored or given to us by Jesus Christ. So in 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, If you picked up the blue Bible, you have the ESV there, or you brought an ESV with you because you know we use the ESV in this church. Uh, that's, That's great. Many of you... Are defectors and brought another Bible with you, like an NIV, I see, like a New Living. By the way, I should say, all of these translations that we have are good translations. We have a wealth of good translations out there, so this, this is not in any way a criticism of some of the other translations. But you will notice, if you have one of those other translations, I bet that you have a different word there for founder. Founder and perfecter of our faith. And that's because it's a notoriously difficult word to translate, and every translation kind of takes a different stab at it. Um, we actually have uh, coins from the ancient world, from the Greek culture, with this word "founder" in Greek, with this word on, like, on the coin, and then a picture of, say, Hercules on it, like the champion of faith, the forerunner of faith. I think the NIV has the author of. There are a number of different ways to get at this idea, all of which point to the same reality, which is this, that our faith is not something that we ourselves produce, but is something that is given to us by Jesus through his presence. Faith is not something that we ourselves, it's not a skill that comes naturally. It's not something that we ourselves can develop on our own. It has to be received as a gift. And if this doesn't apply to you, if you think, well, I don't have that kind of faith, I'm a a skeptic, I'm a doubter, I'm just here because a friend asked me, we're glad that you're here, we're happy to talk to you about these things more. If that's the position that you're in, and you're here, faith is a gift, You might say, oh, I have to give up, because it's not something that Jesus has given to me. Jesus gives generously to all those who ask. This is a promise that he keeps saying throughout his ministry, that he knows how to give good gifts. And so the way towards this kind of faith, the way towards the faith that can endure all things is by seeking Christ and asking for it, seeking him in prayer, Knock, and the door will be opened to you. This faith, it is a gift of Christ. And, to underline the point, this gift is unlike ordinary human faithfulness. You may know faithful people, faithful Christians, faithful non-Christians in your life, and you think, "That's a faithful person. They are, they are loyal. That is a loyal individual, and I love them because they're loyalty. This is an otherworldly kind of loyalty. Most human loyalty can last for a time and for a season. The faith that God gives us, the faith that Christ gives us, is a faith which, like Christ, can endure all things. All things. That's the gift that Jesus has given to us, his people. A faith which endures all things. You may not feel like your faith can endure all things, but this is precisely the faith that Jesus has given to us. See, it's about, the, it's objective, it's a gift that He has given. You have it. If anyone has a faith as small as the mustard seed, they can move mountains, right? That is the faith we've been given. It is Christ's own faithfulness that has been given. To us, a faithfulness which endured even the cross. This is why we're called in this passage. Consider Jesus who endured the cross, despising the shame. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why did Jesus do those things? He did those things because he trusted in his Father. He had faith. He had faith that God would reward his sacrifice. He had faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had faith that he would be raised from the dead. He had faith. That he would sit at the right hand of God and it is that precise kind of faith that quality of faith that has been given to you as believers in him faith is a gift and what that means is the fact that Jesus is the author of faith that he has been he's given to us this kind of faith is that even when we are weary in faith even when we are tired even when we are faithless he is faithful even in those moments where we know we can't endure. We know we can't endure this temptation. We know we're going to fail at this trial. We know we're going to collapse from spiritual exhaustion. The fact that this faith comes from Christ is a reminder that we are wrong. Jesus gave us the faith which can endure all things. There is no unendurable trial that will ever face a Christian because we are empowered by the faith of Jesus Christ. We fail many times. We are not perfect. At times we are faithless. But God always, always for the believer sustains and encourages our faith. He is faithful even in our faithlessness. Jesus is the author of our faith. Notice also he is the example of faith. This is the other reason, the The other side of the consort, uh, coin here, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. The reason we are to consider this is because we are to reflect on the kind of faith that we have been given. We have been given this faith so you want to know more about it. You want to know more about this gift, you want to read the owner's manual, you want to see what things it's, it can accomplish, what types of things it can do, what uh, what it should be used to accomplish, what it should be used to do, look no further than the life of Jesus Christ. He is an example for us of what faith, what this kind of faith looks like in perfection. When it's working at, its, uh, at, at those perfect standards, this is what it will do. This is how it behaves. This is what it will endure. Consider then Jesus not only as the author of faith, but as the chief example of faith. You want to know what you're supposed to do in a certain situation. Look to Jesus Christ and follow his example. Consider another oldie but a goodie. What would Jesus do? Ask that question. Now you may be facing problems that you don't think Jesus could immediately sympathize with. Maybe you're facing a marriage problem or problem with kids and you're thinking, well, Jesus can't sympathize with that. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. Remember that our problems actually are fairly ordinary problems that the difficulties that we have in relationships aren't super ordinary like the marriage difficulties are that we might face or the family difficulties that we might face are normal kinds of difficulties that two individuals face when they're sinners and trying to relate to one another Jesus did face precisely those problems he still faces them as his bride is the church consider then how Jesus responds, what he does. What does faith look like in this situation or that situation? Consider Jesus who gave to us the perfect example of faith. We try to be in this church, we try to be in one of the gospels uh, at least once a year. And next up, I believe, is John. These gospels, they're given to us for a reason. They are given to us to show us Christ, that we might meditate on him and follow in his example. Finally, how does Christ meet the need that we have for endurance? He's the author of our faith. He's the example of our faith. He guides us in faith by example. And finally, he is the perfecter of faith. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, of his faith. He's he's the source of faith, he's the norm of faith, but he's also the end of faith, the telos of faith. He is the final perfecter of our faith. Jesus hasn't stopped working in your life. He, He gave you faith, but he didn't give it to you and then just expect you to go off and figure out how to use it and grow it and perfect it. We have friends, they give us every year they give us tomato plants. And we are grateful for them. They are the most, they produce the most glorious tomatoes that I've ever tasted. And they'll give us these little seedlings. And I, I had no idea what to do with these little seeds. I'm not Eric, as many of you know. And, and so he gives this to us, but it's without instruction, it's without help. And so I, for many years, I would put them where I thought they might grow best and they maybe produced one or two tomatoes. So this time, this year, we went over to their house, and we just gave, he gave us a guided tour of everything that he does, soup to nuts. We have some wonderful tomatoes this year. He, see, Jesus doesn't give us something and then expect us to know what to do with it. He is actively and presently engaged in perfecting your faith, in making it stronger. We will talk more about this next week in the evening as we consider the role of discipline in the Christian life the role of exercise, we might say, in our faith. So join us next evening if you want more. For now, remember and recognize that Jesus isn't done working on your faith. You may feel like you're at a spot where you are too weary, you are too tired, you cannot endure that. We've already seen that the kind of faith that you have is qualitatively good enough to handle anything that God might throw at you or the world might throw at you. It can endure all things. Know also that in the midst of that trial, Jesus is working to strengthen you. He is working for your good and for his glory. He is using precisely this moment, precisely these things to call you to greater and greater faithfulness. And he does that in order that we might meet greater and greater challenges and that we might be prepared then, in the end, for greater and greater glory. We are on the same path that Jesus Christ was on. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And he was trained through suffering over the course of his life to endure that cross, to say yes to the will of God, to throw off the sin that would entangle a normal human being, to throw off the weights that often entangle us and to endure the cross for the joy set before him, for the glory that awaited. Your suffering, your trial because of Jesus Christ is the same. We are following our greater high priests. We are following our founder and champion and so as we face trials, we face them as Christ faced them, armed by faith, winged by prayer. This should then be a great encouragement to us. It should, even in the midst of those times where we feel most helpless and most exhausted and spiritually dead, even at those times, we know that we have been given, if we believe in Jesus Christ, that we have been given a faith that will endure all things and that Jesus is perfecting that faith even now, that should give us confidence, that should give us hope. And so the call of this passage is to consider Christ, to meditate upon him, and to abide in him, by faith to abide in him, because by this power, we are more than conquerors. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the faith that you have given, for the example that you have set. And we thank you that you are not done with us, that you have promised us that you, who have begun a good work in us, will carry it on to completion in the day of glory, in your great day. That you will present us as beloved sisters and brothers before the throne room of God, and we will say, well done, my good, my faithful servant. And we thank you that all of this is not for our own glory and not that we might boast in ourselves, but because you have delighted in your people that you are the author and that you are the perfecter of faith. We thank you then that our endurance rests in the end not in our own selves and our own abilities and our own skills, but it rests as we rest in you. Lord, give us that endurance, the endurance that finds its power to work by resting in you, the author and perfecter of all things. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.